0: Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. All righty, welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and today I have the... Famous or infamous, Dan, the co-founder and CEO of Dacity. Dan and I have known each other for several years, and uh, Dan, excited to have you on the uh, the podcast. So let's get into it. I know we got a packed agenda, and uh, before we we dive into the nuts and bolts and the weeds of business intelligence and ecom analytics, just give everyone a quick overview on yourself and, uh, and Dacity, and we'll get into it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, super excited about this. Love the show, and and love everything that you guys do at Elevar. Yeah. So my kind of background, uh, you know, probably what's most interesting for people is is I used to work for for a, a gifting company, e commerce gifting company that most people hadn't heard of, Provide Commerce, uh, but they probably had actually purchased from one of the brands. So it's a company that owned pro flower, cherry's berries, red envelope, uh personal mm. creations and I was there for quite some time and and really would had been brought in to help them become data driven uh, and the first challenge was well the data is terrible uh can you go <laughs> help build a data warehouse and that kind of really transferred into dacity because the company was bought by ftd yeah and uh you know, I had a number of colleagues that left and went to cool brands like Movement and Rothy's and Kapari yeah. and a couple of others. And they're on this thing called Shopify. And they're like, wow, the analytics in Shopify is not great. Uh, and they came knocking on my door and said, can you help me? Uh, can you help me become data driven just like we were at Pro Flowers? And so that's how Dacity got founded. And uh, it's been, you know, a run since then.
0: You couldn't find any better logos to uh, start as uh, your first couple of customers.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of, uh, you know, uh, just fortunate. Really fortunate, I guess, is the best way to say it. So yeah,
0: yeah. Well, today today my my nine year anniversary with my wife, so I'm in uh, in a sarcastic, joking around mood. So will we'll, so I'll try to keep that to, at the minimum. <laughs> well, congrats. Uh, yeah, con- yeah. Congrats to my wife primarily for uh, sticking out nine years. All right, so let's get into the, just the one-on-one of really the market that you serve and obviously many listening this probably are customers of dacity or uh other using other potential diy type data warehousing and but i think let's for those that maybe aren't as familiar with dacity and just what you all do just let's just go through the one-on-one so what is it what's the role of it and uh we'll keep going from there
1: yeah so i think of us as our goal isn't really just about providing data Uh, that's, that's kind of what we do. But when I think about what we mean to an organization, it's really about how do you help a brand become data driven? And that's the key because a data driven brand is going to be able to make decisions faster. And in my opinion, make better decisions. And it's not so much, Mm -hmm. it's not so much that you want to rely a hundred percent on data. It's really. You need data to guide you. There's still, it's not going to answer everything. There's still kind of a bit of a gut to it, but you really want to have data to make an informed decision. And our goal is to accelerate your ability to make those decisions by providing you with the data and the analytics that you need to make those decisions around what are you going to do.
0: Yeah, and I liked how you described the blend of art and science. So the science behind the data telling you what what's going on and then the art is deciding on how you act on the data. Can you unpack that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when the 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 data side, so I may see things like my AOV has gone down or I'm seeing changes in sort of what customers are looking at in my product. And, and so we're never going to be able to say, go build this new product, but we might be able to say a great way of increasing revenue is to use data around how do you take different products and maybe create a bundle. It's yeah. up to you to kind of say, well, I want to create bundles and these are the bundles I want to create. But you can use data around what do customers naturally put together to decide on a bundle. Now, there are other implications. Like what if your bundles are are both low margin products? Like you generally don't want to do that. You want to do things around, you want to take a slow moving high margin product and couple that with a low margin fast moving product and and so that's a little bit of the art side of like you have to kind of think about how to put those things together but the data can help you say what are customers doing
0: yeah and do you this with everything that's going on in just supply chain do you at audacity do you track like package level so if they're splitting let's say someone has two items in an order and the the brand is splitting the shipment of that order. Is that data that you're able to compile or or pull? Whether it's Amazon or or just the c store.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We get all kinds of data from a whole variety of different places. So um, our data model allows for not only split shipments but multiple delivery groups. So if you're if you're making an order and you have two items and you're sending them to different places, our data model sort of allows that you know what's interesting is shopify doesn't allow that you to do that yeah. but other e-commerce platforms like salesforce commerce cloud and magento allow you to build in that functionality uh, so we do at, at all levels whether it's amazon or shopify have the ability to track that information
0: so that would even that it's almost taking it one step further with the bundling analogy as if you are going through the exercise of a aov started to go down whether it's through discounting whatever it might be we need to this is a problem, a goal that we're setting as a company. If we want to improve our AOV or revenue per user. So we're going to look at bundling. So look at what products are typically most purchased frequently together or potentially in a first, second purchase type of cycle with a frequency. And then even can use the your supply chain data of, hey, these items can typically ship together. This is where it gets way out of my league, but you know, these items can ship together 90, 98% of the time or these items will never ship together because they're, you know, completely different places. Is that a, would that be like a common thread of again taking proving out the before just running with a bundle of using some of just your operational data to uh, validate that decision?
1: It's definitely going to be I'll say that's going to be for most brands a challenge that they don't necessarily have to worry about from an operational side, mostly yeah. because you're either going to be doing that in Amazon or you're going to be doing that through a 3PL. Uh, so most, you know, most brands, until you get to a certain size, you're really not going to take that fulfillment internal, but it is something that becomes critical when you do have internal fulfillment. And actually that was a problem that we had to solve at Pro Flowers as we started creating bundles. It became a, well, there's clearly a a cost advantage out of being able to ship those bundles together because you get one package and you can pack them in one and you have one shipping cost. Uh, And if you're in the flour and chocolate business, uh, you usually have to overnight or two day. (laughs) And so that cost is pretty significant if you're splitting the shipment. So it is a huge factor as you start to grow as a brand and as you start to have multiple warehouses or even if you're 3PL, right? So it might even be a 3PL, but I'm trying to decide maybe I have an East Coast and a West Coast fulfillment center instead of just having one in the center because you're trying to be a little bit more, take advantage of the fact that, you know, you, your orders are, you can fulfill faster and that yeah. becomes a challenge. And then yeah. if you, uh, you know, if you work with a, 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 a and they're going to hopefully help you with that decision-making as well in terms of put some of this product here put some of this product there
0: yeah got it okay so i'm gonna back up just a second here to go back to the kapari and movement reference when you're they had a pain point when when they broke off when you guys all broke off from the previous company and i feel like the the need I don't know, was that five or six years ago? Probably the just overall education and knowledge is vastly different today than it was five years ago and the solutions like Dacity and and others that are out there. But if, I guess I'm saying that because I'm I'm assuming, and I could be wrong, that most brands realize the need of potentially blending this data, uh, pulling different data sources in. Am I correct? Or do you still feel like that is a, it's still an unknown of not sure where to get started, not sure how it works, not sure the investment time wise it's going to take to uh, to do that.
1: Yeah, I think that's really an interesting question uh, because I I sort of look at it in a in a bit of the overall knowledge of brands themselves in terms of wanting to be data driven has matured over the last you know six seven years and and especially as as the amount we're spending in marketing in other areas and, and having to grow our business is so important. But the part that hasn't changed for me is really the types of questions that brands are asking and where they are on kind of their, their maturity curve. Cause I think about brands very much in terms of, of, it's not just a solution for brands of all, you know, being data driven isn't, isn't something that big brands have to do. You're going to do it at all different phases. And the questions are, where are you in your, in your maturity? Did you just open your store and you're selling on Facebook and Google ads and sort of that core? And you're trying to figure out, is there a market for the product, this cool product that I've created to, then you get people, now they're starting to expand into different channels. Maybe they're playing with the TikToks and the Pinterests and yeah. doing other types of advertising. And then at some point they decide, you know what, I'm going to start selling on Amazon, or I might start selling with on Walmart.com or Target or trying to do wholesale. And each of those sort of transitions creates challenges in terms of the decision-making process and, and the need for data to kind of accelerate the ability for me to make decisions. And so if you're early on in your, in your business, where you're just launched that store, just launched that product, your Mm -hmm. goal is going to be to have all these different channels. And so you're going to, there are people that have been there before, and that's where you can follow in their footsteps with, the tech stack that you have and the tools that you're using and the way other yeah. brands have kind of become successful. And so I think that's kind of the the difference. I think the, the only thing that I see really changing is, well, TikTok didn't exist, you know, what, five <laughs> <Yeah>. years ago <laughs> and here it is, you know? And so yeah, all I know is that there are going to be new platforms and there are going to be new channels and there are going to be new tools. And so the question is really around our, our business is gonna be more complex. When I was yeah. back at ProFlowers, you can even sell ads on Facebook. And then that became a new channel that became really popular and now is kind of like really important. And yes, it's Facebook, Instagram, but it's something new is gonna come along and we're gonna have to take advantage of it. And it doesn't mean that the old stuff goes away. So it's just another arrow that we have to use and another data source that we have to bring in and sort of think and analyze and have data around to help make decisions.
0: Yeah. Speaking of data sources, you and I both know, and all of our customers, unfortunately, know the last year, year and a half has been uh, extremely tumultuous with just tracking in general. So what are, since, again, in at a very high level, Elevar we push data into platforms, and that's the you're pulling data. I know you're pushing data in with some of your personas. I, that's a segment, but the segment feature is personas. Yours is audiences. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Anyway, so you're pushing data as well, but in general, you're you're connecting to a lot of different data sources and pulling that data in with iOS 14, 15, and everything in between. What are some of the what's changed? What's changed in the the post iOS world?
1: yeah i think what's really changed is the ability for the vendors to give you accurate information and that's where you know things like elevar are super critical because you're providing data you're taking all of the data that that you're getting from a you know let's call it from a first party basically that the user is doing on their ecom site and you're pushing it back mm-hmm. into the marketing platform to help them get better understanding of who is actually buying off of off of um off of their uh, through their business and that's super important the more when we think about all these ad platforms the more data that you can push into them the better off that ad platform's going to be, and that's where you guys come in, and that's where our audiences come in and i And I think life used to be easy. We just used to send a bunch of stuff into Facebook, say Facebook, go yeah. run your algorithms, and go pick a bunch of audiences for us and what we've seen is costs are going up and, and essentially costs are going up because efficiency is going down the ability to mm-hmm. to talk to properly target people. And so the more data we can push back in is, is going to be really important. And it's kind of interesting because you start thinking about ecosystems, like Apple is also rolling out their, their kind of ability for users to mask, being able to track your, your data, what they call ITP, right? So now you're not going to be able to track what I'm doing across my, across my browsing history. And Google's talking about getting rid of cookies. And so you start thinking about these, you know, it's kind of, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's, are you going to end up having these kind of ecosystems where it's like, Apple controls all of your data over here. Yeah. Google controls all of your data over here. And if you're not in one of those two ecosystems, it really becomes hard to play. And if you're not one of those advertisers, it becomes really hard to play. It'll be interesting to see what happens because I also you know there's a there's an interesting blog article on our website from a from an attorney in the u k who's saying the EU has concerns about they they're balancing between privacy, so this concept of Apple being a closed system like that's great for privacy, but there's also this fear of competition, and if now the only company that can win from an advertising perspective is Apple. Yeah. Is that really good for businesses and consumers? And uh, so I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but it's something that I think about a lot.
0: Yeah, we we could quickly turn this whole episode into privacy and everything that's going on because it is such that is there's an onion and there's layers just keep getting peeled off more and more and more with ITP and iOS and privacy and consent and consent mode and everything that goes into that. And uh, anyways, that's a very, I don't hear that talked about as much as it should be is the closed wall potential and the competition, like basically the monopoly aspect if if it does become a walled garden. So what about your, in the data that you are ingesting, I don't know if this is something that you even see, but whether it's the masked emails where it's an anonymized email that Apple's now allowing if you're opting into a discounted email or something where they forward the email on to Klaviyo versus giving like the, the Braddock at elvar.com email. But are you as are any of those changes are you seeing that trickle down into the reporting or metrics that you and your your customers have relied on?
1: Very small. So fortunately, and this is and this is kind of why I say I'm not sure of what's going to happen is it's less than 1%. So even overall with the kind of Prefetching images—that was going on. I mean, it was, and that in itself was funny because nobody was really sure what Apple was going to do. And <laughs> I thought open rates were going to tank, and in turn, it it turned out that they got super elevated um, yeah. because they're prefetching all the images. And and for those non-technical users, the image is what how an email platform views an open. So when it fetches an image, that's how it thinks an email was open. So if you're prefetching Excellent. all the images, it thinks that you're all these people are opening the email. So basically for everybody enrolled in this iOS masking email, every email, it th- it thinks everybody's opening all your emails, which is disastrous for all of us that you have flows set up that are based upon opens and things along yeah. those lines. So it becomes really challenging. What's interesting is that's less than like 10% of, 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 of actual customers. So for our brands, that's not a very huge percentage of their email. So it hasn't made huge impacts yet, but it does go back to. Now you need to start to segment. You need to start to segment and you need to be more thoughtful around what you're doing and how you're understanding the data to make sure you're not just going, wow, my email opens are up, but I'm not seeing conversion as good. What's going on? Okay, you got to slight you got to dig into the details a little bit. And I think that's the
0: Can you give an example of like a just a very real life example of a segment that someone would have to take with this change?
1: Yeah, so so I'll so I'll go back to uh so let me go back to my ProFlowers days for a second where if everybody remembers when when Gmail um started coming out with the different tabs and yeah. <laughs> I And we were all, everybody in the email space was freaked out about the different tabs and the fact that all of our emails were going to get into, uh, and I can't even remember what the name of the tab is anymore, but it was like shopping or something like that. And we were all worried that open rates were going to tank. And so we all used to put these banners at the top of our emails. Remember to click on, add us to your inbox so we won't go into shopping. You know, it's like we all wanted to do that. (laughs) Very few people did, but I think what happened is people is consumers, when they wanted to go shopping, they went into the shopping tab. Like they knew where those emails were. And so over time, we didn't really see an impact to the revenue we got from email. It was just the dynamics of how it worked yeah. changed. And we'd gone down to we basically our our tactic of you know do you put how do you put the banner at the top or not of like, yeah click add us to your inbox was we sent a different email to everybody that was on Gmail. So what you could do today is you might go and send a different email to people that you've identified as having, uh, using basically one of the Apple, you know, using Apple mail. Yeah. And so it does that prefetch, like you can start to kind of put people into that bucket and create two segments. And that way you can track the results differently. Cause if you're doing an AB test, you kind of want to exclude those people from your AB test because the, the prefetching of images is going to completely throw off your results.
0: Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pull that one out as a takeaway. It's really a good nugget there. So Think about emails and the impact on iOS 15 and Apple Mail where they are, again, prefetching, essentially giving you 100% open rate in theory. So segmenting out by operating system, device type, or mail client, etc. And especially if you are running an A-B test where you're just doing a generic split of 50-50 across your entire list is you want to exclude anyone that you've identified using Apple Mail so it won't skew the metrics. And that could happen if, for example, in your A-B test, if through randomness 80% of the total Apple Mail customers end up in your B, your B variant, and A only has 20, so B could artificially have an inflated higher open rate because it's automatically, again, Apple's automatically triggering that did yeah. i get all that is that all correct
1: that is right yep you got okay. it nailed it
0: cool all right so i'm learning learn i learned something new today that's a good uh that's a really good recommendation i would that's a good one all right so we're gonna keep going so we can get more into the real life examples so uh just found a very we'll try to keep this one to two minutes max but i know that Dacity you integrate directly with google analytics and you you ingest the Stand, like Your standard data and also what has been called the MCF report, and that's, that's the attribution reporting, and then it's all going to change with GA4 and what's, what all that entails in next year. But in general, what do you see brands utilize the in-app Google Analytics for today versus what they might use inside Audacity where you're blending different data and potentially merging with inventory, Amazon, etc.?
1: yeah that's a great question. You know I think the big thing about Google Analytics, the first thing that people have to recognize is the way the way g a is Google Analytics is getting data is through that JavaScript that runs on your website and so your revenue in g a should not match your revenue in Shopify. There's going to be some sort of delta. Mm-hmm. My experience has been it's somewhere between three to 5%. Sometimes it's higher if you, depending upon your population, kind of things that I've seen is brands that tend younger, more male tend to see a higher discrepancy because younger yeah. males tend to use more ad blockers or yeah. sites that, or like things like DuckDuckGo that that just don't allow you to run that. And so that's kind of the first part is we're going to be able to capture all of the orders and then using tools like your, your own, like you help, you help these platforms make sure that they have a hundred percent reporting. Then, you know, you start getting into, so that's the first piece is you're always going to get true reporting if you're going to a platform like Dacity versus going into GA and GA is not going to understand concepts of things like returns, costs. Uh, so. So not only will revenue be off, you're not going to have sort of net revenue, you're not going to have your gross margin, things that we can capture. It also doesn't really have the concept of a customer. So are they able to go and properly calculate lifetime value? And so there's so many parts of GA. So GA is a great tool for, I'm trying to see where my customers are coming from and I'm trying to improve my site conversion. That's what it's really built for. It's not built for, lifetime value i'm trying to do merchandising i'm trying to understand my what products people are putting together or across purchases there's so many parts of your business where you're never going to be able to use google Mm -hmm. analytics and so that's why it's so important that that it becomes a source of data for a i'll call it kind of a company-wide data analytics platform It's Mm -hmm. a source of data along with everything else that you have, your e-commerce, your logistics, your marketing platforms, your supply chain, et cetera.
0: Yeah. If I were to summarize that using Google Analytics, if we just talk products is GA, the interface in GA can be potentially the best place to go if you're looking looking for conversion rate based on collection page view or conversion rate based on product page view to help. Potentially feed some analysis back into okay, what collection pages should we lead with? What product pages are performing better than others based on whatever campaign seasonality, etc. But once you get into the all right, how how is the potentially cross-selling going back to bundling return rate reasons for returns is it sizing issues, etc. It's not even it's not worth trying to force that back into GA. Is you just you? It's not the right tool to once you start getting into that deeper of analysis
1: exactly exactly
0: okay okay and then obviously ltv that's an uh, obvious one is ga is if if you're just solely relying on the javascript then cookie is not going to be the the ltv source of truth even though there is a lifetime value navigation in the left nav it's just it's it's based on the cookie already so that's a that's a good overview just since google analytics is both very heavy in what we both do at elevar and, and dacity and now let's let's get into uh do you want to get into some real-life examples?
1: Yeah, I can share kind of two two examples that I think are kind of really interesting. Um, you know, one of them from one of the early merchants that that we, one of the early customers at, uh, at, at Dacity. And, you know, that's really about kind of, the the power of our platform is really the ability to combine the data sources. So when you're thinking about lifetime mm-hmm. value, you're thinking about, well, how do I go and what is a customer worth? And one of the things that we're able to do for a brand is under is help them understand what is the value of somebody who is ever a subscriber versus not. And that's really mm-hmm. hard, right? So if you're using Shopify and recharge. And you're first of all, just trying to calculate lifetime value out of Shopify is really hard at the customer level. Yeah. And in order to be able to understand what's the value of somebody who had subscribed, it's really challenging because recharge isn't necessarily gonna know all the orders and they're gonna know what orders they place that are that are subscription, but they may not be able to have everything across your your multiple systems. And so we're able to provide
0: just to clarify for those are listening that might so recharge, they're gonna know about all of those subscription orders, but they won't know about the one time orders that someone may purchase. Correct. Correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah, just want to just want to clarify that. Keep keep going.
1: Yeah. And so it's interesting is if you're thinking about, so this was a merchant that was trying to decide, how do I want to change? They're trying to grow their business, and they're thinking about, how much can I invest in customer acquisition? Mm-hmm. And one of the strategies that you might take is, well, I'm going to do product advertising, so I'm going to create a, a an ad, and I'm going to have two different products in it. Well, if one of them is is a subscription product and one of them is not – you're probably willing to pay very different amounts because of that lifetime value, and so we we're able to help them get to a. Instead of having an overall lifetime value, they we we're able to basically split that into this is what somebody who is a subscriber at any mm-hmm. point in their life cycle they became a subscriber is worth, and this is how much a non-subscriber is worth. Yeah. Is worth, and so they set very different acquisition or basically spend. Mm-hmm. From a cost per acquisition, they spent very different amounts. So instead of having a blended, I have to spend this across my business, they were able to say, if we're trying to acquire subscribers, we can pay X. And if we're trying to uh, attract single buyers, we can pay Y. And that really helped them accelerate their subscription business. Uh, so that was one example.
0: Something that we see with a lot of the subscription brands that we work with at Elevar is if if they're using LLVAR's Facebook tracking, just as an example. And we do those with Google Ads as well. And not every platform supports this, but you break up your purchase events that you implement. So you have your primary purchase event and then you have a subscription event. So two separate purchase events that both fire. If someone were to go through Recharge Checkout, you are essentially telling Facebook, hey, a purchase happened. Oh, and hey, there is a subscription. This was a subscription event. So at that point, what we see some of our customers do is they just like you said they are going to optimize for that subscription event because they know that the value for that is going to be you know, x percent higher than just a, a one-time purchase event so if, if you are listening to this and wanting to in your subscription business and want to start ideating with your team is something that we see very commonly is like hey elevar we 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 sell subscription products when we launched our all of our tracking facebook google ads etc we want those platforms to get a one-time purchase and a subscription purchase signal so then the marketers there that know what they're doing they're going to be able to optimize for that event that's a higher value and then potentially you know push that back into you know the algorithms that they're going to google they're telling facebook google to go find more people like that that are going to subscribe so that's a very tactical way of how you would take, again, what what Dan was was describing of setting that goal and target and then making sure that you are optimizing the top funnel campaigns for that.
1: Yeah, Brad, that's like a great tactic for people. And that's where, you know, we were talking about earlier about how are these, you know, what's changed and having that data from Elevar being pushed back into Facebook, you know, don't let Facebook just go run off of every purchase. Which is what mm-hmm. they're naturally going to do. You want to create those lookalike audiences around those subscription purchases that you're firing because that is way more valuable to you as a brand than just yeah. you know the generic default Facebook audience, which is going to be anybody that purchased. Because yeah. uh, some of those purchasers are not very valuable for you.
0: Yeah. Cool. I just want to give a little tactic of like how to implement that or execute. So. Example number two. That was a good one. A lot of yeah, subscription businesses it. out there. Love so. it.
1: Yeah, the the second one that I'll kind of share, I thought was really interesting by one of our merchants, where you know they're a little bit on sort of a consumable. So it's a product that you're, it's not a subscription product, but it's something that has kind of a shelf life, right? So. Mm-hmm you, you know, so if you think around, and, and this is interesting for me, I didn't know this, actually, you know, I didn't know that cosmetics have like a shelf life. There's kind of, they only last for so long. <laughs> you didn't know you that should, as an active I, user yourself, yeah, active yeah, consumer right. yourself. <laughs> uh, and so it was kind of interesting in that, you know, what this brand did is they recognize when people should be, should be coming up to repurchase. And so what they did is they, they they targeted, so they're able to kind of figure out who those customers are, and and use our platform to kind of measure time between purchase. And what they would do is they would they would load, they would take that data of kind of when was the expected next purchase based upon that that based upon sort of the data, and push that into their Klaviyo platform using our audiences uh, product, and then they would go send an email to those customers about a week before, you know, they should be buying again. And what was interesting is it it raised AOV by about 20% because obviously not only did they send the email, they kind of added in a discount code for a threshold that was a little bit above what the average order value was for that customer. And so it got that customer to kind of spend a little bit more and come back. And those are, those are the really interesting for me, how, you're really taking data and turning the data into a tactical strategy that you can go execute. So it's not just a, I've used the data to help me figure it out. Like first example was that kind of art and science. It's like, oh, okay, now I understand that I can do art and science. This is where you've actually used data to help you drive a specific result. And so I love that kind of example too, of things that you can do with data and being very actionable.
0: Yeah, and that that's a really good example, and I think that applies to pretty much everything. I love I've used this example with running shoes. It, you know, you know, if someone's buying a specific set of running shoes or workout shoes, sneakers, whatever it is, they're only going to, like that pair of shoes is only really going to last for x number of months, depending on your usage. So you can do the same thing with that of, okay, it's been 10 months and you told us you're an active runner on our post-purchase survey, whatever it was, is then you just feed that into a segment and then you're starting to send them something that's very specific, whether it's, I mean, this would be great, like more catalog focused where it's really personal, but email, SMS or whatever, it's like, hey, it's been 10 months, those shoes probably feet are starting to hurt a little bit, aren't they ready to buy? So like those type of things can be applied across just so many different product types. And I think with everything that's going on in the market today, I think getting a little bit creative like that is is just going to help, is uh, ultimately going to help boost AOV, conversion rates, et cetera. Any other, any other just quick examples of like, anything inventory-wise, Amazon, and anything else that, again, someone listening could take away that they may not otherwise be doing or thinking about on a day-to-day basis? Any, any other actionable tips?
1: Yeah, I think you know inventory. I'll say merchandising planning supply chain is often an area where a lot of a lot of platforms kind of and I'll say we ignore those functions. Um, you know, understanding your inventory, your sell through. So so sell through being. On a certain day, I have a certain amount of inventory and then I track over time how many units I sold and you kind of calculate the sell through what percentage of your sales. And so if you're a multi-channel merchant, let's say you're selling on Amazon and on your .com, like having the ability to have that, to be able to kind of see the inventory in both locations, Uh, Because most merchants do FBA, fulfilled by Amazon. For those that don't know what FBA means, which means you're sending it to Amazon to deliver to the customer, you're going to get the the, you're going to track those, and you're going to want to be able to see at the SKU level what are my sale, what's my sales velocity. So how much of that inventory am I selling? Because you're going to have to make a decision when you're when you're producing more product. Are you going to send it to Amazon or are you going to send it to your 3PL? And those are things that become really important in terms of being able to, for brands, to be able to help uh, from an allocation perspective. Um, so that's something that I think becomes really important as well.
0: All right. So let's uh, let's transition into the future of data blending and obviously a lot of crossover, both in customers and what we do with Elvar and Dacity. So where do you want to start with server side tracking with what we're seeing in the future, the next couple of years of uh, just things that we know are coming down a pipeline. What's next?
1: I'll just kind of start with, you know, for those that are listening today, you know, when I think about it, when I think about a platform like Elevar and why it's so important is it's helping, it's helping you as a merchant capture all the information around the user activity on your site and making sure that you own it instead of say Google owning it, where you're not going to have as much visibility into that data when, and, and as things like cookies go away and sort of Apple, you know, goes away as Apple creates their walled off system, the need for you as a brand to capture more of that information and own it yourself become super critical. Hopefully merchants are doing things like asking their customers surveys and doing those. You see how much richness you get out of when you just go ask a customer. And so server side tracking is really about you owning this data that the customer is willing to give you. And so that's kind of the first piece. And we know that this is coming. We know that this is coming. So the good thing is there's not an unknownness about it. It's like, we know this is coming now. It's just, okay, go, you got to go kind of get on board. Don't wait too late <laughs> and start to kind of go down this path and prepare. Then I think the second piece is, well, what do you do with that information? And it's great by itself. Like this is where I think, you know, you guys do a great job in terms of you're sending the data back into the marketing platform. So the marketing platforms have hundred percent visibility and people can do, do things like go into their Facebook and say, was this a purchase or a subscription purchase? And make some decisions there. Where you start to become really powerful is now when you start to link that with a lot of other, other data that you have. So a platform like the Dacity platform where we can take that server-side data and now we can do things to help you understand well, how are your marketing campaigns doing? Because we know all the things around what you've spent and and what you've set up from your campaigns and be able to give you great analytics there. But also, we're going to have access to individual user. You know, when you go into GA, it's really hard for you to get down to the individual user. And so we can think about, well, how do we bucket users together into how the what behaviors they're doing on site. And so you start thinking about that combination to really help you be much better in terms of how do landing pages not just work comparatively, but how do they work across my user types? And so we can help you define those. And so it lets you just kind of start to really become a lot more thoughtful around how you're running your acquisition and then also your your site conversion. And this may not be the right thing for the, the, the brand that, Hey, I just launched my site and I'm advertising on Facebook and Google. But for the brand that's, I'm now spending a bunch of money in, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine different channels. It starts to get overwhelming. And so you need things like this to help guide you in terms of here's what's happening with each of these at more than just a, here's my ROAS or my CPA. Cause that's a, That tells you the result. It doesn't, like looking at ROAS is great. We all love to look at ROAS or CPA and that's a great way to look at it, but it doesn't tell us what to change. All it says is, If you go change a whole bunch of things before this, which is, it could be your site, it could be your marketing tech, it could be your marketing advertising. It could be the people you're putting into your advertising. It could be any of those things. So you have no idea. And so we need to be able to kind of get to those other levers and be able to identify what are those levers and understand there to be able to truly understand where which are the levers we're trying to pull. And I'd love to hear kind of your take on, you know, so I kind of chatted a little bit about my sort of thought of around where server side is going. You know, I'd love to kind of, you know, I think it's great for you to share kind of your side as well as where where you see this as well and how you think about that that need for getting your own data.
0: We have so many mutual customers, so I'm going to speak as, I'm, as I would be talking to a mutual customer of ours, just giving them a lay of the land of what's happened what's happening now what's likely to happen in the future and you know what we we're, we're, we are collectively going to do to help you so number one you you mentioned the it's inevitable that you will have to get potentially all of your channels up and running on server side tracking that's correct i'm going to use two two reasons why so number one I'll, let's use snapchat so snapchat it's we have a couple of customers that we're trying to get up and running but uh, if you have not listened to episode number one, which is client-side versus server-side tracking with our VP of Engineering, Thomas, and we talked about one of the main friction points that we are hitting as a company and trying to roll out server-side tracking across all platforms, is many platforms aren't either, A, are not ready. Technically, they they don't have the infrastructure to handle it. Or B, they don't want to give up the fingerprinting from their cookie. We already know number one's happening. So all these channels that are rolling out their conversion API, So Snapchat is they're incentivizing some customers they're giving them $30,000 credit ad credit if they get the they get their new conversion api up and running and it's evolving like they just released an update last week we've been working with their dev team on trying to give feedback on how it's set up so we know that's happening we know many channels will be rolling this out and essentially doing what facebook did a year and a half ago to almost force everyone to get up on the conversion api the second reason we know it's happening is what we mentioned, talk about all the browsers where, the, where you won't have the ability to just plop JavaScript on the site and the, they're gonna set their first and third-party cookies and the cookies will do all the magic and tracking cross-site scripting, et cetera. We already know that's going away. So that's, the, that's one piece why we are investing so much of our resources and R&D and server-side tracking and just really buttoning it up and removing dependencies on GA cookies and things of that nature. The second part so speaking of ga cookies with the ga cookie if if someone clicks a link from an iphone on a or clicks a facebook ad from an iphone and comes to your site the you, that cookie is is force expir- expiring in 24 hours so it's essentially useless so if that same user comes back 25 hours later on the same browser could even be the same window they have open it's a new user it's a new user to ga it's a new user to facebook because those cookies are being forced reset by the, the ITP or essentially the Safari known tracker prevention uh, technology they're putting in. So that is, again, just another check against just cookies doing all the work for you. So that moves more into, okay, how can you implement your own ser- quote-unquote server-side tracking to have better control over that? And obviously it needs to be, we won't get into the nuances of GDPR compliance, CCPA. It's not like that, we're not trying to get around that. We have consent integrations with OneTrust and CookieBot and others to, for those that need to comply. But that is a reason if you just wanna look at um, apples to apples of server side GA versus a client side GA, all of, you'll typically see a 15 to 30% gap in data. So just looking at Google, if you're pulling data from Google Analytics, you'll be missing 30% potentially. Sessions, landing page sessions, add to carts, et cetera. That's another big reason w- w- what we're seeing impact, and we're doing these A B tests with our customers and saying, hey, if, if Dacity is, is relying on just data coming in from Google Al- Analytics, we continually, we continue to see the degradation um, in the amount, like the accuracy of that data of what's actually happening. That's it's going to have a downstream impact on any of the reporting and insights that you might be pulling from uh, any of those reports that. Uh, you might be pulling from. So that's another again reason uh, thing that we're really seeing and, and testing with uh different customers. And then the last thing is on is with the attribution and over the last couple of years there's just been a such a huge push into uh just finding better ways to answer the questions of where where should I be spending my dollars to acquire new customers profitably. And uh that that's I know that's a question that you get all the time and that's something that we're gonna help you help customers again. I'm I'm trying to speak as a customer. It's a customer of both of ours, which is maybe, maybe why it sounds a little bit awkward if you are not a customer. But in general, if that is something that we're we are going to actively help you with uh, answering those questions, because we realize that it's it's going to blend into some of your different marketplace channels, Amazon, eBay, uh, Walmart, etc. So that's uh, again just to summarize the chance all of your additional marketing channels. They're rolling out their own cap integrations and providing big incentives to move over to that. Number two, we know that we already know that cookies are, are going away and that, that's going to have a downstream impact. Number three, ad blockers. We know that's also growing. If you haven't listened to my episode on ad blockers, I go through all the stats that we're seeing. We've tested validated and, and plus third-party uh, data that's out there. And then four, just that growing question of where do I spend my money? We know that's going to be an answer that will always be asked, but it's just because of iOS and everything that's happened in the last two years it's become an even more critical question that all of our customers need to uh, need a better answer. So that's that's what we're seeing that's where we'll be we're continuing to push a lot of our time, energy and resources and again we haven't even layered on top everything consent and legal on top of this which adds a whole different it's not even another layer it's like it's a it's another book because There's If you have to comply with GDPR or some of these other uh, protocols out there, then again, there's ways that you can still send data to Google with consent mode where they essentially, you're not sending the cookie data, but you're sending obfuscated order conversion data so they can still, uh, the platform still know that conversions are happening, but uh, again, I won't get into that because it'll cause another, uh, this, this episode to be the longest in history because it'll be about two or three hours, but <laughs> a lot more uh, complexity going around that. Anyway, that was, that, was a mouth, that was probably a mouthful. I could talk all day about, about this stuff.
1: No, I love, love it. I mean, I think it's spot on, right? All those things that, are, that, are, that we know are coming and you know, to all those merchants out there, start getting ready because we know that they're coming, down the, they're coming down the pipe if they haven't yeah. already.
0: Cool, well, any any last tips for anyone that may not be doing some of the data blending and any, yeah, we'll do tips and then we'll close out in a second, but anything else you want to share?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the, I'll just say it doesn't matter where you are in your merchant journey, right? Whether you're a million dollar brand, a hundred million dollar brand, um, start becoming data-driven. Just go go and pick a tool, it doesn't matter which one, but just start using data to help you make decisions, make it part of your culture to make decisions based upon data. And you're just going to be you know, able to uh, uh, you're going to, that's going to help you be successful. So that is the number one thing I just say to everybody's
0: just start. How much time, how much time should someone block off to invest like on a weekly monthly basis?
1: You're probably doing a couple of hours already a week, you know, just trying to put stuff into Google sheets. Getting up and running should be fairly easy and because you're just going to have to go add your integrations and hopefully what the, what using a tool is it's going to actually save you time and then it's going to give you, so it should save time on stuff that you're hopefully doing already because uh, you're trying to track your business and then invest the same amount of time into figuring out what those new opportunities are. That's, that's how I would think about it is, if you're spending five hours a week trying to track your business, continue spending five hours, just make sure that most of it is not entering data into a, Google, into a Google sheet or something like that and trying to crunch some numbers yourself. Automate that part and then go leverage the time to go figure out what the next thing is that you're trying to do.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, Dan, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, just reach out to sales@dacity.com, or just go to our website dacity.com, and you can fill out a form there. And uh, you know, we're happy to watch a demo or have our team uh, reach out to you.
0: Alrighty, that's it. See you next time. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week, so be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again.